So up to this point, Paul has built an airtight case for the lostness of humanity and the necessity for God's intervention. Before Paul announces the good news, he gave us the bad news, that the whole human race stands condemned as sinners deserving God's wrath and punishment. He showed us that we cannot keep the law. The law cannot save us, but only condemn us. You know, the law thunders responsibility. Do, do, do. Then try a little harder and do some more. But today, Paul is going to give us the good news. He's going to point us to Jesus. He's going to steer us away from the law and into a relationship. And Jesus is going to say, hey, just respond. The work is done. The price is paid. And when we do, when we respond to Jesus, we will do more than we ever could under the pressure of religion trying to keep the law. So up to this point in Romans, Paul has painted a dark, grim picture for mankind. For three chapters now, we have been waiting for this moment where he finally turns the corner and he's going to turn us away from the wrath of God to the grace of God. These are probably the most important verses in all the Bible. Um, We're going to go from completely hopeless to being completely hopeful. So go ahead and turn with me now if you haven't already. Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's some good stuff. This is so loaded. There's so much to unpack here. So take a few moments, read it to yourselves, and then your table leader is going to lead you in the discussion. All right, so Paul has made a strong case for the universal indictment under the law, right? And now he turns to God's gracious alternative plan. Verse 21 reads, But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The words, but now, present an important shift in subject. Finally, Paul turns the corner to the main point of Romans with the words, but now. Something crucial has changed in human history. Uh, We have seen that the law was God's righteous standard, right? But the righteousness required to live up to it was not within man's capacity. 
Um, we could never live up to God's righteous standard by keeping the law. But now, God's righteousness has been manifested or made known apart from the law. So, our justification, that's a word we hear quite a bit in church. And we're going to hear quite a bit about that today, justification. What does justification mean? It's, an, it's the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. It's the act by which God moves a willing person from the state of sin, injustice, to the state of grace, justice. So our justification is apart from the law. You know, if you're trying to relate to God on the basis of your own goodness, devotion, consistency, your do's and don'ts, you will never be justified. The law cannot justify you. It can only bring you to the realization that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And Paul adds that this new thing has not been unexpected. The law and the prophets have been pointing to God's righteousness all along. In fact, there was always God's plan to arrive at these words, but now, as a way for humans to be saved. You know, when I first read verse 21, I totally misinterpreted. That's why it's always helpful, it's always a good practice to read every translation of a verse if you need clarity of what that verse is saying. And I believe the NLT version says it the most clearly. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. See how that simplifies that verse? So concerning the law, if we can't keep it, if Paul is steering us away from it, what are we to do with it? Are we to just disregard it? Are we to just sweep it under the rug? Are we to just keep on sinning because we're incapable of not sinning? No, by no means, as Paul would say. The law is still good, it's still perfect, and it's still God's standard. But God knew he had to provide another way because we're incapable of keeping the whole law. God, who is the measure of righteousness, had to provide a means of righteousness in order for us to be right in God's sight, or else we're all doomed. So this righteousness from God has been provided in a different way. There is now a way to be righteous before God. It's not by obeying the law. It's not by being Jewish. So what is it? Please, Paul, show us. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. The way to be made right in God's sight is the way of faith in Jesus Christ to take away your sins. Come on. It can't be that simple. Yeah, it can. And it is, but it's not a simple matter at all. Jesus paid an extraordinary price and it cannot be taken lightly. So our justification is by faith in the Lord 
and our justification comes from our, our not being linked to God generally, but to Jesus Christ personally. You know, it's not enough to just say, I believe in God. You know, James says the demons have a belief in God, but they're not saved. They're not justified. They won't be in heaven. So is it enough to just say, hey, I believe in God and attend church? No. We must put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because the source of justification lies embedded in the work in the person of Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is the only way we can all be saved. You know, we all begin in the same place spiritually, and we have to grow in our faith in Jesus to be saved. You know, faith in Jesus doesn't mean that we understand everything he's done for us perfectly, but it does mean we believe he has done everything perfectly for us. Look at verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. So Paul has made it clear so far in his letter that there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. When it comes to final judgment, all have sinned. Now if the law measures the distance between um, God and his creatures then human righteousness is our attempt to bridge that distance by our own efforts, which leads to one conclusion. Paul is correct. We all fall short. But what is this glorious standard that we cannot reach on our own? The word glory, doxis, from where we derive the word doxology, refers to the wonderful and awe-inspiring but indescribable presence of God. So sin keeps us from the presence of God. Sinning confirms our status as sinners and cuts us off from a holy God. Furthermore, sin leads to death because it disqualifies us from living with God. Regardless of how great or small each sin may seem, sins are deadly. But sinners can be forgiven. And again, there are no distinctions. We have all sinned and we all need a savior. And through faith, we can receive his salvation. You know, some people think, well, hey, I'm doing pretty good, especially compared to my neighbor up the road there. But the problem with that is you're comparing yourselves to the wrong standard. The comparison is not between you and your neighbor. It's not between you and your pastor. It's between you and God. God is the standard. And it's how you compare it to the glory of the Father that counts. And, and in his light, we all come up short. Verse 24 says, and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification is by grace exclusively. Okay? What is grace? It is unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. It is only by the grace of God that we are justified. The riches of God climax in justification. And if that isn't enough, justification also means being justified, which means it's an action that happens continually. 
you know, at this very moment, we are being justified and declared righteous. You know, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, not only do we have a mediator, Jesus, who stands between God and us on our behalf, presenting our case to God as our defense lawyer, in a way, but because of the faith that we have placed in him, in Jesus, God now considers us completely justified and righteous. It's amazing. You know, so often we feel that because of our sin, we have forfeited the access and the freedom that we once had. Not true. Justification is a continual declaration of righteousness. And we are justified only by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption, that's another word we hear a lot about in church. What does redemption mean? It's deliverance of Christians from sin. You know, it means deliverance, rescue, salvation, atonement for guilt. It's an act of God's grace by which he rescues and restores his people. So again, we are justified only by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus frees us. You know, when a judge in a court of law declares the defendant not guilty, all charges are removed from that person's record. Legally, as if the person had never been accused. When God forgives our sins, our record is wiped clean. From his perspective, it is though we had never sinned. So we don't have to anxiously work while hoping that in the end, we will have been good enough to meet God's approval. Instead, those who believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross are free. Jesus takes away our sins. And our righteousness before God depends entirely on him and can only be accepted as a gift from him. God in his gracious kindness assures us of our acceptance and then calls us to serve him as best we can out of sheer love for him. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that's a word we don't hear very often today, propitiation. It's mentioned about four times in the New Testament. What does propitiation mean? Um, it means atonement with the added concept of appeasement of anger. So God appeased his anger with the blood of Jesus. Why blood? How come? Why blood? More importantly, why Jesus' blood? God had said from the beginning that the life of any creature is in its blood. You know, it's the blood representing life that brings atonement. If we look back to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, you know, the forgiveness of sins required the sacrifice of a spotless animal. The forgiveness came by the shedding of its blood, but the problem with that was it wasn't, it was, continual sacrifice had to be made. It wasn't a one-time sacrifice because an animal, no matter how clean or spotless, could appease God long-term. But Jesus was a different story. He changed everything. He was the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. There was no blemish in him at all. Jesus was completely sinless. 
He never sinned. He's the only person in human history that ever lived a perfect life. And he pleased the Father in every way. So only the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross was the effective atonement for our sins. Only Jesus could satisfy God's anger towards us. You know, people who don't know God don't have a good grasp, understanding who God is. They often ask questions like, why was God so angry in the first place? You know, when people ask such questions, they don't have a good understanding of who God is and what sin does. Um, God's anger with sin is based on his holiness and is a just response to violations of his character. It's motivated by righteousness. His anger is not petty or temperamental, neither is it out of proportion. God is omnipotent, so his anger is never a response to feeling threatened or belittled. Rather, God is angry at evil. Okay? God's anger shows stems from his justice and goodness. He is angry at that which goes against who he is and against the good that he intended for his creation. God has anger over sin and the destruction that it brings. When people don't understand God's character, when they don't understand what sin does, when they don't even see themselves as sinful and in need of a savior, you know, Jesus, they, they, they won't ever appreciate Jesus or the cross. They don't understand it. You know, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 God is just and right to be angry at sin. Put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. You know, certain things on the news and in our community, they anger us, does it not? doesn't it probably should but imagine how God feels seeing everything not only the evil that's brought to light in the news but the hidden things the evil that men do in secret you know it's impossible for us to comprehend the thousands if not millions of sins that have been committed through the years in this church alone not alone um, by the whole world throughout all of history. What if you were God? What if you saw what every person is thinking and doing at any given moment of every day? What would you do? Well, here's what God did. He took the anger he feels and he hurled it all on his son whose blood flowed redemptively so that we, the hostages of sin, might be set free. Tina and I were listening to um, a teaching by Skip Heising yesterday. He's an awesome preacher that we listen to from time to time, not very often. but And he made this connection with propitiation and the mercy seat. And I'm going to try to explain it the best I can, but... The mercy seat, you know, was the lid on top of the box, which was the Ark of the Covenant, okay? 
It was gold. It had two cherubim on top. And inside the box, inside the Ark of Covenant, were three items. You had Aaron's rod that had budded. You had a cup of manna. You know, manna was the food that God miraculously sent down from heaven to feed the hungry, stubborn Israelites out in the desert. And third, it was the law, the Ten Commandments, the broken tablets. You know, so as long as the Ark of the Covenant was around, it was a reminder to the Israelites that they had broken God's law over and over. So God said, I will only meet with you at one place, the mercy seat. The only time I will have fellowship with you is when you sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And when you do, I will meet with you there. So Jesus Christ is God's meeting place, his mercy seat. God will have mercy on us. His blood covers our brokenness. If you want to meet with God, you have to go to his mercy seat, which is Jesus. You don't want to stand face to face before God without Jesus on your side. You don't want to do it. All right. So the second half of verse 25 says, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. This speaks to those who sinned and died before Christ's death on the cross. Um, at the cross, God forgave the sins of all who believe. Old Testament believers looked forward in faith to Christ's coming and were saved, even though they didn't know Jesus' name or any of the details of his earthly life. It was through faith they looked forward to his coming, and that's what saved them. All right. So in verse 26, it says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he, didn't, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So through Jesus' death on the cross, God's righteousness is seen clearly right now at this present time. So that he, God, might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. You know, God is entirely fair and just, both in his inherent character and in his dealings with sinners. How so? How can God be completely just in dealing with sin and also the justifier, the one who pardons our sin? You know, how do you do both and stay true to who you are? Only by justification through Jesus. You see, justification solves a divine dilemma. In 1 John 4, 8, John declares that God is what? Love, right? But in 1 John 1, verse 5, he tells us he's also light. Therefore, God, who loves us deeply... He also sees our rebellion clearly. And if he said, I love them so much that I'm going to overlook their sin, he would no longer be light. 
So this is God's dilemma. He's love, but he's also light. What's the solution? The only solution is justification through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It's perfect. It's fabulous. It's beyond comprehension that God would have come up with a plan so beautiful that it confirms both his light and his love without compromising either one. You know, we have so much to be thankful for in Jesus. You know, Paul has showed us that the law cannot save us because we're incapable of keeping it. You know, he has left no room for doubt that we're all guilty before God. No one is righteous. We've all dropped the ball. God who hates sin, who can't even look upon sin, who won't allow sin in his presence, made a way for our sins to be removed so that we can be saved and live in his presence. And that's only possible because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus paid an extraordinary price, and he suffered beyond comprehension. And we owe everything to him. I mean, everything. He gave his life so that we could have life. Let's pray. Father God, we just, we are indebted to you, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for, for being obedient to the Father, Lord, for, for your great love for us, for dying in our place, shedding your perfect, innocent blood so that we, the guilty, could be made right in the Holy Father's sight. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, we, we owe all to you. God, we will be completely hopeless. We would still be stuck in the first three chapters of Roman if it weren't for you, Jesus. And God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to provide a way when there was no other way. Lord, may we respond to you with a heart that just wants to live for you, to honor you, to show the world to you, Lord, or show the world you. So help us, Lord. Help us hold fast to your truths, to your promises. Let us run this race to win our eyes fixed on the prize, which is you, Jesus, eternal life with you. We're indebted to you, and we love you. Lord, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for the sacrifice that you endured on our behalf. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. up in that room. For one, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for the sins of many. This is the new covenant. This is what's going to save you. 
my blood that saves you. If you are believing in Christ, I invite you to the table.